Well, good morning, Golden Corner Church, and good morning to each and every one of you who are visiting with us today. Thank all of you for being here. I know that I say that every Sunday morning, and I want you to know why. I mean that with all sincerity. Thank you for being here. You could have been any number of places doing any number of things, but you've chosen to be in church, and I'm grateful for that. You've chosen to bring your children Uh, You've chosen to worship, to learn. Many of you have chosen to serve here today, to give. I don't take that for granted. I thank you for that. This morning I want to wrap up a series of sermons that I've been doing the past couple of weeks entitled, Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. And we've been looking at a little story in the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And here's what we've learned. There are times in our life, times in each and every week, and I think perhaps some time each and every day where God doesn't want us to do anything but just sit and visit with Him. Isn't that cool? Just sit and visit with me. Last week I defined that and we discovered that people who visit with God intentionally eliminate as many distractions as they possibly can so they can give their undivided attention to God and have a conversation with Him. They talk to God, they give God a chance to talk to them. Of course we understand that we talk to God when we pray Perhaps you're asking the question, how do we listen to God? I believe the best way possible to listen to God is to read the Bible. The Bible is still the primary way that God speaks to people. And so we should take a little time to pray and a little time to read the Bible. And I know what some of you just thought. Well, I think I can do that praying thing, but this part about reading the Bible, I'm not so sure about that. Ronnie, I've tried that. And not only am I not hearing God speak, I'm not even understanding what I'm reading. I'm getting nothing out of it. So I don't know about all that. Well, here's what I'd love to do this morning if you'd give me just about 25 minutes of your time. Can I share with you what I do that has helped me understand more of the Bible than I used to understand? And not only has it helped me understand more of the Bible, but it's, it's been instrumental in kind of bringing the Bible to life to me. And, and what I mean by that is this. I mean, there are times now where I'm reading the Bible and, and God just speaks to me very clearly and personally from the pages of the book. He makes it personal, addressing issues that I've got and answering questions that I've got and giving me solutions to problems that I'm facing. And it's just a simple four-step process that I use. Could I share it with you? Okay, this side's interested. All right, so I'm going to, if I focus on this side. Here's what I do. Step number one. I read slowly. And with my mind, that's not a challenge to do. I read very slowly. Now, I'm going to assume a couple of things. I'm going to assume, number one, that you've acquired a contemporary translation of the Bible. I'm going to assume that you've done that. I don't want to offend anybody what I'm about to say, but if you're trying to read and understand the King James Version of the Bible, you've already created a real obstacle for yourself. 
You know, the Bible was not written in English, of course. It was written in Greek, excuse me, Hebrew, Chaldean, and Greek. So any English version of the Bible we have is a translation. The King James Version was translated in the year 1611. Now, here is the King James Version a bad translation. No, it's a good translation. The problem is English has evolved quite a bit in 400 years. I'll give you an example. Philippians verse three, chapter 3, verse 20 in the King James Version says, For our conversation is in heaven. Now, when I use the word conversation, what do you think it means? A dialogue. People talking. If you look that word up in the Greek, the word actually means citizenship because in the 1600s when they talked about citizenship, they used the word conversation. So that could be very confusing. You get a contemporary translation, you read it, it says, for our citizenship is in heaven. So here's what I'm saying. If you're using the King James Version, you're already making it extremely difficult to understand the Bible. Get yourself a contemporary translation. Now, there are a lot of good ones. I'm going to give you my preference. I like the New Living Translation, the NLT. It is by far my preferred translation. So I'm assuming that you've done that. If not, I'm going to make that recommendation. Get one. If you've got a Bible app on your phone, you've already got access to multiple good translations. The second thing I'm going to assume is that you know that there are some books of the Bible that are much more difficult to understand than others. And so if you make a decision, I'm going to do what he said, I'm going to sit down a little while every day and I'm going to start reading the Bible and I'm going to start with the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Honey, you're going to get lost in Leviticus. Now I promise you that. You say, I'm going, I think I'm trying Isaiah, or maybe I'm going to the New Testament. I've always wanted to read the book of Revelation, or maybe, you know, the book of Romans. Got to tell you, honey, those are some tough places to start. Important, yes. Are you going to get there? Yes. One day. You know where I like to start? I like to start with the great stories of the Bible. The story of Jonah. I like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the stories about Jesus. I like the book of Acts, the story of the, of the first Christians, all these stories about the first Christians. I like the book of Genesis, you know, parts of Exodus, parts of Numbers, Deuteronomy. I love Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you know, Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah, you know, all these books with these stories. I find that the stories are much easier to understand than sometimes the epistles and the other letters of the Bible, the books of the Bible, even though I love those too. And so here's what I'm assuming. You know that there are some better places to start, and I would recommend starting with the stories. Pick a story. I learned a long time ago the important thing is not how much of the Bible you read, but how much of the Bible you understand. So you know what I did? I slowed down. I don't try to read through the Bible in a year. I think that's a noble goal. That's good if you want to do that. But that's very pace-oriented. Man, you've got, to, you've got to keep moving. You've got to keep moving. The goal becomes to get through this. I hear people say, chapter a day, chapter a day. I'm telling you, a chapter a day for Ronnie Hodge is way too much. It's hard for me to do a chapter a week. Usually, I just pick a story from the Bible, and I read that story over and over and over and over again, all week long, sometimes two or three weeks. I'll just read the same story over and over and over again. I've been reading the same story in the Bible for two solid weeks. It's found in the New Testament book of John, chapter number four. It's a story about Jesus who met and talked with a Samaritan woman at a well one day. I've been reading that story for two weeks. So here's what I want you to know. You have permission to slow down and take little bite-sized chunks of the Bible 
and just read those chunks. And I'm recommending stories over and over and over and over again. Okay, you with me? Did I lose anybody on that? You got you still with me? Because my concern about doing this sermon was it's something I'm really excited about because if you get it and you act on it, it's going to change your life. And that's not a bunch of preacher promises. I'm telling you, I know that it will. It changed mine. I don't want to sound like an infomercial or a seminar. I want you to understand this is what works for me and it's worked for a long, long, long time. I read slowly, but number two, I research adequately. I don't care what passage of the Bible I read. There's a whole lot at my first reading I don't understand. You may have thought that was unique to you. You may have thought, well, I don't know who that was, and I don't know what role they played, and I don't know anything about that place they mentioned, and I don't know anything about all this stuff. That's normal. Every time I read a part of the Bible, there will be multiple things I just don't get. But it raises a question mark in my mind. Now, I've already mentioned I'm in John 4, and I'm reading about Jesus, you know, talking to this lady in Samaria, and the Bible said he had to go through Samaria. Now, the first question came to my mind is, why? I mean, was it on his route? Did he, was there a detour? And he had, why? So I just underlined that, and I put a question mark. I said, I got to come back to that. I want to know why. Why did he have to do that? In the story, Jesus made a woman an offer. He said, you know what? If you ask me to, I could give you living water. Huh? Well, in my mind, you know what I thought? What is that? What's he talking about? And why would he refer to it as living water? Underline it. Question mark. I've got to come back to that. He told this lady, God the Father is looking for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. My question was, what does that mean? Underline question mark. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come back to those things. I'm going to come back to those things and I'm going to re- do enough research. I'm going to do my dead level best to find out what they mean because here's the thing. If I skip over that, there's not a lot of, there's not a very good chance that I'm ever going to understand what I'm reading. So I've got to come back. I've got to do a little research. Now, how do you do that? I'm going to tell you how I do it. Um, now, you're still with me, right? Okay, everybody's still with me. Here's what I, if I've got to have answers to these questions, I like to refer to the footnotes in a good study Bible. You say, now, Ronnie, you've already talked about all these translations. I didn't even know that until this morning. And now you're telling us about a study. What is a study Bible? A study Bible contains the biblical text, Genesis through Revelation. But in addition, there'll be footnotes. Some biblical scholar or some team of scholars have placed footnotes in in critical places where they feel like some explanation is going to be needed. And so when I've got questions like that, the first thing I do is I always look into the footnotes of my study of the Bible and see if somebody answered that question for me. Is it right there? Now, you may be saying, Ronnie, what study Bibles? Listen, they are legion. Just like they're good translations, there are a lot of good study Bibles. If I could only have one, listen to me now, listen to me. If I can only have one, it's this one. This is the New Living Translation Study Bible. And no, they're not paying me anything to stand up here and give it my endorsement. Just out of, I've got them all, man. i got them all. And this is right now, this is my favorite one. And so you got that. If you, and, you know, they make books to help you do this. They make software. And in, in time past, I've recommended that. And nobody goes and buys the books or the software. So I'm going to accept that you're not going to do that. But you need a study Bible. You really need one. Second thing you could do is if you've come to kind of a log jam, you've got some questions you want to know, I'm going to make a recommendation the Apostle Paul never made to anyone in his entire life in ministry. If you come to a place and you need some answers, I want you to try 
Googling it. Now, I want you to understand something. I'm not saying you should build your theological views based on what you find on the internet because the internet's full of crazy people, right? It's full of nuts. But I did something this week just for your sake. You know, I, I, you know we, we were studying in Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42 about Martha and Mary the past two Sundays. So I, 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 I googled this. Uh, I want to know more about Martha in the Bible. Click. All kind of links. All kind of links. And, man, there was this one called Bible Gateway. Anybody ever heard of Bible Gateway? Something you see people nodding their head? And it had this biography about Martha. It was great. I did the same thing with Mary. You know, I, I Googled, you know, how did people in the Bible fish? Click. Man, next thing you know, you're getting this explanation of how they fished, how they farmed, how they fought, whatever. You, here's what I'm saying. If you're just looking for facts about people, places, things, cultural differences, Googling it can be wonderful. What I'm saying is, you don't have to look at something in the Bible and go, I don't know what that means, so I'm jumping over it. Don't do that. The very answer to that question might be the clue you need that really unlocks the meaning of that passage to you. Research it. Now, I don't, I don't look up every word. I don't look up every person. I don't, you know, turn over every stone. I do this, and to, I do this to an adequate degree. John Boy, until the point, I come to the point that I know, I go, okay, I got it. I got it now. I understand it. So we're going to read slowly. Any of you have a problem with that? We're going to read slowly. We're going to research adequately. So everybody's still with me. You got those two points. Now, it's going to lead us to the third step. The third step is I reflect intentionally. Now, when I finish those first two steps, I usually have a pretty good understanding of what that passage meant or what the story, you know, I could probably tell you the story in my own words. What I'm looking for now, I'm looking for these words to come to life. I want God to say something to me from this story or this passage that I've been reading. And so how does that happen? It happens for me when I reflect intentionally. In, in the New Testament book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, Paul was writing to a young pastor that he's mentoring. And this is what he said. If you will stop and think, if you'll just stop and think about the things I'm saying to you and the things I'm writing to you, God will give you understanding. And here's the deal. It's not enough to read it over and over and over again. It's not enough to research it until you kind of got an understanding of it. You've got to take it one step further. You've got to think about it. You've got to put some thought into it. Now, I'll tell you what doesn't work for me. I can't climb up in a tree stand, and I can't go, okay, I'm going to think about John 4. I'm going to think about John 4. I'm going to think about John 4. You know what happens? Within a minute, I'm, I'm not thinking. Or I'm out here, man. I'm solving some problem. I'm gone. I've left John 4. For me to do that, to, for me to really think, I've got to focus my thinking. And to focus my thinking, I use questions. I use the same three questions with every passage of Scripture that I read and research. And here are those three questions. What have I learned about God? What have I learned about life? And in light of what I've learned, what am I going to do? That's it. Same three questions. Every passage. Now, why do you do that? Do you understand the Bible is the revelation of God? It is the primary way that God has chosen to reveal himself to you. And God wants you to know him. That's the primary purpose of the visits to begin with. He wants to reveal himself to you and the tool he uses is the Bible. 
So I always ask this question, what have I learned about God in this passage, in this story? What is he revealing to himself about me? The Bible is not only the revelation of God, the Bible is the how-to manual for life. In the Bible are thousands of principles for living that God intended for you to identify, come to understand, and apply to your life so that it would make you a better person and your life a better life. And so... Every time I get to this point, I always ask this question. Okay, what did this story teach me about life? And then my final question is, every time God reveals something about himself, he expects a reaction on your part. Every time he shows you something about life, a principle for living, he expects a reaction on your part. He expects you to apply that. So I never stop until I've answered that question. What does he want me to do? In light of what he's shown me, what does he want me to do? Does, does that make sense to you guys? Do you kind of see, can we do this? Can we call a quick timeout and do it together? Can we do that together? This is kind of a parenthetical place in the message. We've got one more step. I'm going to come to it. But why don't we try that, okay? Let's just assume for a moment that you've chosen your biblical story. And you chose an Old Testament story. It's in Ezekiel chapter 37, first 14 verses. It's a story that we refer to as the Valley of Dry Bones. Now, some of you already, you know the story, you know it well. Others of you don't, so can you give me, can we, give me just, a, a, say, three minutes to tell the story? I think I can do it in three minutes. Let's just imagine you've read slowly, you've researched adequately, and you've come to this understanding of the story. This is what happened. God took a prophet named Ezekiel, and he dropped him in the middle of a valley that was absolutely filled with dry bones. Now, where'd the bones come from? An Israelite army had been defeated here a long time ago. The bodies had been decomposing for so long that there's nothing left but bones. Not skeletons, mind you, Curtis. Just bones. Scattered bones everywhere. God asked Ezekiel, could they, could they ever live again? Ezekiel wisely said, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's way out of my pay grade. <laughs> Only you would know something like that. God said, here's what I want you to do. I, want, I got a sermon that I want you to preach to them. Can I ask you something? Does that make any sense to you? Huh? Bones? Ain't got no ears. You understand what I'm saying? Ain't got no ears, God. That's what I would have said. God said, I got a sermon here. Here's a sermon. I want you to preach to him. So he started preaching. You know what happened? Something miraculous took place. Bone came together with his bone. In other words, not randomly. Skeletons are reconstructed. Cartilage replaced. I mean, there was tissue. There were organs. There was uh, tendons, muscle, uh, skin, hair, teeth, eyeballs. Next thing, while he's preaching this sermon, these bones become bodies. Miracle. God says, well, that was good, but they're still dead. So Ezekiel, I want you to try something else. Talk to the wind. Man, I want you to talk to the wind. I want you to, I want you to ask the wind to blow from all four directions and breathe life into these bodies. Ezekiel goes, okay, I'll try that too. He says, oh, wind, come from all, you know, east, west, north, south, breathe into these bodies so that they live. And all of a sudden the wind blew, and the next thing you know, these bodies stood up to life, no longer bones. They were an entire army, a vast, powerful army, the Bible says. Okay, I told you the story. You know that story. You understand what just happened. Let's ask our questions. What did we just learn about God? Nobody say anything out loud. You're thinking, you're thinking, you're processing. What did you learn about God in that? Let me tell you something I learned. God's so powerful that with him there's no such thing as a hopeless case. Now, if God had asked you or me, can they live again, I would have answered Oh, I know. <laughs> They're too far gone. 
It, you know, and perhaps if they were a corpse or, you know, maybe it's, it's hopeless. That's what I would have said. It's hopeless. You know what God said? Oh, no. Let me show how powerful I am. I'm so powerful I can take bones and make an army out of them. I can do that. That's what I learned about God. So powerful. No such thing as a hopeless game. What did you learn about life? Here's what I learned, Mitch. Uh, God tells you something to do. You don't, underst- you don't really understand all it. You just know what he wants you to do. Uh, do it. Just do it. Because when you do, you put yourself in a position that you're likely to witness a miracle. That's what I learned about God. That's what I learned about life. You see how it's coming to life? You see how you started? Now, in light of what we learned, what should you do? I'm going to tell you, number one, stop giving up on things. Stop giving up on situations and saying, that's never going to happen. Stop giving up on people and saying, you know, they're a lost cause. Too far gone. Stop doing that. Here's the truth. God is so powerful. There's no such thing as a hopeless case with him. So stop giving up on situations and stop giving up on people. What else are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do, even if I don't understand all of it, knowing that when I do, I put myself in position to witness a miracle. So if he's telling me to give and I don't see any way I can give, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give anyway. If he's telling me to serve and it's a capacity I've never served in, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve him anyway. I'm going to do it. Unfortunately, I'm so glad nobody's on the front row because I'm telling you, the spit's flying right now. You see it? The spit is flying. I need one of those dentist things that suction things so every once in a while I can just kind of drain her out. But you see what I'm saying? When you start asking the right questions and, and you ask who you get the answers, God begins to speak and He begins to bring the Bible alive. Now back to our fourth point. My fourth step is this. I, I request constantly. Let's, let's use this illustration here. You, you're getting ready to take a trip to the West Coast. You've got a long flight. So you go out and you buy yourself the latest John Grisham novel. I'm not a reader. You know, he may be dead now for all I know. I really don't. I don't. You buy the novel. You're going to read it. You sit down on the plane. A gentleman sits next to you. You begin to try to read the book, and you're frustrated because the book is very complicated. You just you can't make head nor tails out of it. The gentleman next to you says, hey, like the book. You begin to express your discontent. You're struggling with it. I don't know what this means. I don't know where the author's going. And the guy says, perhaps I can help. I'm John Grisham. I wrote the book. Can you imagine? You're reading and you're dialoguing. You're saying, well, what is this? I don't understand why you inserted this here and who is this? And man, the whole time John is explaining everything, all the details behind writing the book. You do understand this, that the one who wrote the Bible lives in you. He's always with you. Always. Every time you've ever opened up the Bible, he's sitting there right with you. You have immediate access to him, and you can go, I'm not getting this. What did you mean by this? What point are you making? Do you know the God who wrote the Bible didn't write it in code so that you could never understand it? He wrote it intending that you would understand it and even gave the author to you, to live in you forever, to help you understand it. So through this whole process, you know what I do? I pray constantly, I pray constantly, help me, help me, help me, help me. Help me understand this, speak to me personally, show me what you're wanting me to get out of this. If you do this, I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to start understanding more of the Bible. 
I got plenty of time, baby. I got plenty of time to land this plane. You know, that's a good feeling. You look and see, you got 10 minutes to wrap her up. You're going to start understanding more of the Bible. You're going to be amazed, as a matter of fact. But the big deal is God's going to start speaking to you. You're going to sit down one morning, right in the middle of this process. You're going to be thinking about some problem you're facing, saying, I've got to find a solution to that. And as you begin to reflect, all of a sudden, kapow, there it is. You're going to be going, oh my gosh, I've read that 10 or 12 times, and I I never saw that, but that's me in that story. That's my situation, and that's exactly what I need. You're going to be amazed at how it starts becoming personal to you. You're going to wake up one morning in dire need of a word of encouragement. You're going to sit down with your cup of coffee and open a Bible, and you're going to say, all of a sudden, bam, there it is. A personal word of encouragement straight from the book to you. It's going to come alive to you. That's what's going to happen. Now, I know a couple of things you're thinking. You're thinking, man, it's going to take way too much time. It's going to take way too much time. It's going to take more time than most people put into it. But why don't you do this? Just take 15 minutes a day. You don't have to do all this in one day. Matter of fact, it's better if you spread it out. Take 15 minutes a day and just go through this process. You say, that'd take me a month. Who cares? Who cares if it takes a month? The important thing is that you understand it and that God is able to speak to you from it. And if it takes a month, so be it. Enjoy it. I know what some of you are thinking. This has been my fear of sharing it. It's too complicated, man. Too complicated. I didn't, I don't know. Hey, it's recorded. And I'd go back, I'd listen to this again. I'd listen to it more than once myself. It's easier than you think. You know, how many... Do you remember when you learned how to drive a straight drive vehicle? I learned to drive on a straight drive. And, and, I, and listen, I'd never been on a farm tractor or anything. I'd never, I'd never driven a straight drive vehicle. So my dad's going to teach me how to drive. So we're getting his little Chevy truck, six-cylinder, straight drive on the column. I mean, we're on Highway 11. We pulled up on the side of the road. He, he puts me in the driver's seat, and he's like, okay, that's a clutch. Right, what's a clutch? Well, you've got to push that in to crank it and to change the gears. Okay, okay. What are the gears? Okay, you got three gears, you know. So, you know, and so you're going to put it in low. Push the, push the clutch in. That's your brake. That's your accelerator. You know, push the clutch in. Oh, man, fired up. Fired up. There we go. He said, put it in low. Okay, where's low? Pull that back. Pull her down. Oh, I got it. I got it, Dad. He said, now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to let off on that clutch very slowly, very slowly, and you're going to give it some gas as you let off. So you know what I did? I put her to the floor, baby. I'm telling you, we were 10,000 RPMs, and I'm barely letting off. That truck's going to fly apart. Daddy's like, oh, no, 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 let off on that gas. You got it, you got it, you can't give it so much gas. You got it, here's what you got to let off on that clutch a little quicker. So, you know what I did? I just let off on the clutch. We start doing that rabbit hopping thing going up Highway 11. He's like, pull over, pull over, I pull over. Clutch back in, we're sitting there, and I'm going, what just happened? What happened there? You, 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 you're going out, you're letting out a clutch too fast. Man, we do this over and over again, over and over again. And every time we're rabbit, we're rabbit hopping up and down the road, and I'm stopping and pulling. Finally, I get us going. And man, that thing's back up to 10,000 RPMs, and Daddy's going, You gotta go to second. You gotta go. So, man, I said, Where's second? He said, You gotta go up. Well, I start up, it's grinding, and he's going, Wait a minute, you gotta push that clutch in. I look down, and he said, Don't look down. I pushed it in. He says, go up. I didn't know there was a reverse and a second up there. So I just go, oh, man, he's like, no, you're going in reverse. I pulled it over. I'm shaking, sweat's pouring. 
You know what I'm thinking? I'll never be able to drive. I'm going to be walking the rest of my life. What idiot came up with this concept? Now, guess what? When I get behind a straight drive today, I never think a thing about it. It's become second nature. I've done it enough. When I take the four steps I shared with you, I don't ever think about it. It's become second nature. It will for you too. But you've got to start somewhere. You've got to try it. Can I give you some homework? I'm going to pick a story out for you. I want you to do something. I want you to really try this. I'm going to give you two weeks, okay? The story is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. It's the story of Jesus at a wedding. So I want you to try this. I want you to read it slowly over and over again. Research what you need to research. Reflect intentionally with those three questions. And you request constantly for his help as you go through that. And I want to see what happens. Will you do that? That's good. Thank you, guys. Let's pray together. Father, we're bound and determined to become people who visit with you often. We want to visit with you often, God, because we want to know you. We want you to enjoy us. We want to enjoy you. And, and, and God, we just really didn't have the time to get into the full value of the Bible, what it means to us. This was a good starting point. Now help us do something. Toss our fears aside and help us to really try this. No pressure on ourselves. Just going to enjoy this. I pray that's what we'll do. And God, here's what I pray. Speak to us. Speak to us. Very clearly, very powerfully, speak to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray together. Amen. Thank you. You're dismissed.